I do like it, but I just, that learned, like, it's just, yeah, not feeling the vibe in the room, it drives me crazy. I started out with, I was going to go whole hog, but then the first two songs I did both, and then I pulled one out. That helped. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's good, it's good. Have a good day. All right. I hate to break up all the love, but uh, we do need to preach at some point today. So make your sit down, find your ways back to your seats. <laughs> and children uh, are dismissed to Kids Connection. So if you have kiddos in that age group for Kids Connection, uh, feel free to start making your way that way, that direction. Just a few more things to talk about before we, uh, we hear the word today. This yellow booklet, those of you that have been going to EMB for a long time know what this means. It means tonight is annual meeting time. We get to talk about uh, the year that we just completed, how we've seen God's hand work, and talk about the budget, talk about ministry reports, and talk about the year going forward. So there's some really good information uh, in this book. If you haven't got one yet, I'd encourage you to pick one up, either in the office or I think there's some in the entryway, hopefully. Okay, good. In that welcome center? Good deal. Uh, grab one of those, read over it, be ready for the, the meeting tonight. We'd love to, to see you guys there. So if you are new to EMB, that's what's coming. And there will be soup. So as with any good meeting, we need to start it with food, and we're going to do that tonight. So you can look forward to that. Uh, let's see. Also, I want to introduce Asher Griffin. So you guys have heard from Asher before, and his lovely wife, Brooke, is here as well. Thank you for coming. Uh, he was supposed to preach a couple Sundays back when we canceled for the ice apocalypse that never really materialized into much of an ice apocalypse. Thank the Lord. That was good. We were glad for that. But Asher's back today. We're glad to have him. And uh, he's from Henderson Hills Baptist Church down in Edmond. He is the associate pastor of Community Life. Did I get that right? All right, good. And I, his parents are actually here today because, as he told me earlier, he is their favorite child. So they drove all the way up from Mustang to hear him preach today. So a warm uh, welcome for Asher Griffin. <laughs> I haven't even talked yet. Uh, first service, they clapped afterwards, so, um, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, the last time I was here, several months ago, on the drive out of Enid, I uh, told my, my wife when I got home, I got really sad because I was leaving. Um, you all have heard before that Enid is in, is in my top five Oklahoma towns. Um, Edmond is one of those, and another place on the east side of the state with an ice cream shack that shall, rename, or shall remain nameless is number two, and you all are number three. So uh, it's good to be back in Enid for a lot of reasons. Um, Scott asked me uh, over the course of a couple of weeks if I could hit on some topics, uh, one of them being stewarding our money. Um, so I'm more than happy to drive in, tell you to give a lot more money, and then drive out. 
Let's pray. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm happy to do that. In a lot of ways, uh, I think it's, it's easier for someone to just open up the Word and, and do that for you all. Uh, our church is also in the same season as you all are in where we're proposing our budget and everything. I personally think that churches are really, really bad at saying how, good, how much good they do in the world around them. We, we often put it in an Excel sheet format. Um, ours, you separate the, the debt services, and then you say all of personnel is here, and then all of ministry is here, and you often separate people from ministry. Um, so the topic of giving, I think, is, is one that gives everyone a little bit of anxiety, so here we go. Our sermon is going to come from the passage in the Second Corinthians chapter 9. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to pull that out to chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. Paul is writing to a bunch of people, um, reminding them that they should be giving to the church. In particular, because this church, one, serves them, but also this church is doing a great work in serving other churches. And I don't know if he is writing to them because he's worried that they're not going to give. I don't know if he's worried that they're not going to fulfill their promise of that they're going to give to the church of Jerusalem. But either way, he, he gives them words that make us stop and pause. And one of the reasons that we know we should stop and pause and listen to him is because all of a sudden Paul changes um, the way that he's talking. And for the first couple of verses in our passage today, he's going to be uh, giving them what looks a lot like a proverb. So if you read the Bible normally, you will know that there are natural breaks And how the Bible is written, there's narrative that's broken up by poetry, then all of a sudden there are prophetic texts that warp our mind, and then sweet little stories of giants being killed and people thrown into pits, and and then it brings out. So here, Paul is going to switch in just his structure, and he's going to give us a proverb. And that proverb is something that you and I often try to overlook, or we hope that it won't sting us very much. I'm going to read this passage in its entirety, and then hopefully show um, what we're supposed to glean from God's Word. So if you'll look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6, and I'll be reading through the end of the chapter. The Lord says to us in His Word, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound in you, so that having all sufficiency and all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply And multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you. Because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Paul is going to give a bold claim at the very beginning here. If you just look at verses 6 and 7. 
He's basically going to tell everyone who would read this, you need to give to God. That means your money that you don't want to give away. He's saying if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. If you don't sow bountifully, you should expect exactly what you sow. Bringing in phrases from Ecclesiastes and in Proverbs and other portions, he's now turning things on these guys to say, hey, if you sow to God what you should, he will reward you. We're afraid of language like that. And we should be. Because we live in an age, at least 30, 40 years later, where especially people in this state have made their whole ministries off of, if you give $100 now, the Lord will give you maybe $1,000 in months to come. There are empty churches and towers in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where people would pray on poor people by saying, I know that you make $1,000 a month, but if you give me 200 of that dollars and you pray really hard, the Lord will bless that and you will grow rich, coincidentally, just like me. And so we're afraid of pastors or church people who come to us and say, you should give your money to the Lord. In a lot of ways, we should be careful with that. But here, Paul is saying that what we sow is not for pastors, or in the case of many people around charlatans who are trying to get something for their gain. Paul is telling these people that they need to sow into what God has given them. So Paul is telling them, and thereby telling us, you need to give to the Lord. Now, he's going to set up here in a little bit that I'll try to demonstrate. He's going to set up a couple of ways to give reasons to that so that you can trust when you give to the Lord or give to Paul or the church in Jerusalem or, in your case, Enid Mennonite Brethren. There's an outcome of that that you can actually measure and understand. Um, Paul is going to, he sets up in the first two verses, six and seven, this pedestal that's hard to live up to. He's saying, if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. And then, much like he's building a chair, he's going to give, I think, three clear legs to this chair that supports what he's going to give to them. So this morning, I think we'll devote ourselves to seeing when we do sow bountifully, what does it mean that we will reap in the same way? First, after he tells us we should give, he says that we should give because, number one, it's God who supplies this gift through you. So if you look at verses 8 and 9, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. When I was really young, I don't remember how old, but we, uh, I was young enough to actually do children's church, and not like where you go off into some Narnia place where they teach you the Bible. We had to come up to the front where the pastor would give his own little sermon, and that was the one that we were supposed to pay attention to. Well, this one really stood out in my mind and still forever stands out in my mind because the pastor there handed every kid a dollar, and it looked like a million when he had a stack with him. So he gave each kid a dollar, and I'm thinking, this is it. You know, I'm five, and I made it. (laughs) So he gives everyone a dollar, and he says, next week, I want you to talk with your parents and talk with other people, and I want you to decide how much you're going to give back to God. Well, nothing, you know. (laughs) I mean, when you're young and someone gives you a dollar, it's like, this is incredible. Um, 
My dad has been a community banker my whole life. So I've, I've seen dollars and I've seen what they can do. They put them in vaults. And so I wanted to hold on to that. But I thought it was really, really good. Um, I gave half, 50%, back to the church that next week. 50 cents. I remember, I can't remember, it was one of my parents, either mom or dad, asked me before, probably on a Saturday, so are, what are you going to do with the dollar tomorrow? And I was like, I'm going to get 50 cents. And you could just tell they're like, what are you going to do with the other? Well, to me, I just got something that I didn't have. And if I was to give all of it away, I may never have it again. The anxiety of us giving away money or time or our whole selves to someone else. What if that money that we have dries up? You know, I needed, as like a five-year-old, I needed to hold on to that 50 cents. And at the time, I wasn't thinking of mutual funds. And if I just put this into NASDAQ, you know, now I could retire. At the time, I thought, I'm never going to get this again. Paul is writing to this people, understanding that anytime someone gives something away, there's always this creep inside of our souls that makes us think that the Lord's goodness to us is going to run out. God says to us there in verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound in you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This passage is for the Christian. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm not really sure what you should take away from this message. Because what we're talking about, giving ourselves to the church, giving ourselves to the mission of God, it's something that you actually don't have to do, and we're not going to try to get you to do anything. We're not going to take your money. Not that we don't think it's not valuable, but when Christians give ourselves over to the Lord and His kingdom, we know that He has already given us everything. All of His life was given to us on the cross. And this is the same God that upholds all things, that makes all things possible. There's nothing in this that shows a small version of God that we think, well, if I give, in my case, 50% of my money away so that I can hold on to 50 other percent, He's going, hey, the Lord will continue to provide for you. So here in our case, God is supplying our gifts back to him. He, he won't let his children run out. Paul here is quoting from uh, the book of Psalms, Psalms 112 verse 9, where Psalm 112 describes a really righteous man. So if you're a New Year's resolution person, you've got 11 more months And maybe your resolution is, I want to be a good person. I want to be a righteous person. Read that psalm again and again because one of the things that points out about a good person is that he gives to the poor. He distributes freely to other people. And his righteousness endures forever. All of those things, distributing freely, giving money away to the poor, righteousness, all of those things are being held up by the supreme ruler of the world. Everything that we do is an outflow of what God has already done in us. God comes without any reason on our behalf to save us from our sin and ourselves. It's God who leaves heaven in the personhood of Jesus who pays a cost and dies for us, giving all of himself for us. And so in relation to that, it now becomes normal for us to want to be a part of that advancing mission. And Paul here is saying one of the ways that we're a part of that advancing mission is to give money away. What you think about it, it's 
it's easy to give money away when you think of that's all you're asking? I mean, Jesus could have come and paid our debts in literal money form. Uh, Brooke and I, well, not Brooke didn't do it. I did it by myself. I watched on Netflix the entire season of The Crown, new, new show made for women, but what are you going to do? <laughs> so it's like 11 episodes, and it's incredibly boring. So like three episodes deal with real problems that queens go through, like what is their new last name going to be? It's really rough. Or another episode, what will, their, what will their husband do all the time? Well, in this case, three episodes of like flying a plane around. Like, that sounds great. And then more episodes, more episodes. But the coolest episode in all of that is when the queen, and probably episode two or three, is finally crowned. Like, she became queen because of the death of her father, but now the coronation is here. And on the queen's head, they put this crown that weighs at least more than 10 pounds. And it takes a while to stabilize it, so she practices. But then she sits on a throne where she has a robe all around her. And it's supposed to actually leave the throne chairs to signify that everything this train of a robe touches is hers. And in her right hand, she holds something that looks like a globe. And it's supposed to, because she has sovereignty over all of the world. All of the land that her kingdom touches is hers. And she holds a staff to show her absolute power. Because what do you do with a staff? You hit people. So if anything is going up against the queen, she has the power of the world and the throne of justice in front of her. When God looks at us, he sees his righteously robed son who upholds everything and has all power and judgment in his seat. And his son takes that robe and wraps it around us so that when God looks at us, he sees the righteous robe of God clothing his children. We are no longer covered with filthy rags of our sins. We're now the glowing throne that bestows all of the kingdom everywhere. Money is nothing in comparison to that. And Paul is going to show how, even breaking down this, that God supplies it through you, but he's saying money is, money is nothing compared to what he does because here's the best part. Point number two, God is going to take your money and he's going to multiply it. He's going to take what we give back to him and he's going to enlarge it. This is an investment of eternal value. Here, look at verses 10 through 11. He who supplies seed to the sower And bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You know, one of the things that I I came across just randomly studying this passage is is you, you actually start counting different words that are there to see if there's some kind of method to Paul's madness. And guess what? There is. So you take down and you start counting the words. You know what the most underused word in this passage is? Give. People come to this passage and they're like, oh man, this is it. Now, I'm, you know, I'm paying 10% and this guy's going to guilt me into paying 11% so that we can go to the nations. Here's the thing. This passage isn't about you giving. This passage is about God. God supplying the seeds. God saving the sower. God increasing the multitude of that seed in the ground. God is taking what we give to him and he multiplies it. We look at this in terms of time. So think about what it would cost you in time to share the gospel with someone else. 30 seconds, maybe five minutes if they're that kind of person. 
maybe your whole child's life. But when someone told you the gospel and it clicked, what has been the result for years or months or decades? The multitude of that gift given to you has increased over and over again. And God promises that when you give him something, he's not going to take $100 and make it work for a value of $100. He multiplies the fruit of the seed. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. What a sweet promise. This isn't something that leaves from you permanently and it blesses someone else. God is promising to us through this passage that when you give, it's for your betterment too. When I worked for ConocoPhillips in Bartlesville, the big project, we, all of us had big projects, but all of us had a question. They quizzed um, all the interns at the end of the summer. And if you didn't pass this quiz, uh, you were probably not going to be invited back as an intern. So everyone freaks out for weeks. And we're trying to like text each other, what's the question going to be? Do you have any inside information? Maybe we could break into ConocoPhillips computers and and then go to jail for high crimes, and, and, but we'll finally pass this test. And so everyone gives their project, this is what you do, boring, 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 accounting work, blah, blah, blah. But then they say, okay, let's take, for example, that we are drilling for oil, and we have this large amount of land. Let's just say it's 100 square miles of we think that oil's underneath that, and we sell it, and we sell it off to other people. What happens when all of this land dries up? There's no more oil in it. And all they're looking for is, will you go bankrupt? If you can't produce oil as an oil company, you go bankrupt. And that's what a lot of us fear when it comes to giving, that we think if we give God something from us, that all of a sudden we're going to spiritually go bankrupt. And we know this because this, this happens in all the other areas of our lives. We take stock of what we have. You know, we, we might take inventory, so if a tornado takes our house, we can tell the insurance... I had 12 plates, not 10. Um, we are very good at holding on to things. We're also very good at losing things. So I have probably had 50 pairs of sunglasses in my life. Some of them valuable. Many of them at the bottom of a lake. You know, we, lo- we lose things even though they're incredibly valuable to us. Mar- Martin Luther, I said it wrong in the first service. I gave credit to Charles Spurgeon, which is the 500th year of the you know, of the, uh, what's it called? Reformation, of course it's Martin Luther's quote. Martin Luther, Luther said, I'm very good at losing things that I meant to hold on to, but God is very good at holding on to everything that I give him. When you think of all the possessions in your life, you rightfully should like them. Money, people, whatever, cool clothes, Whatever. But when you give yourself over to the Lord, it's not just an investment that is multiplied again and again and again, but it's actually something that never leaves. The Lord is holding on to you and other believers. So by giving yourself to him, you're not going to lose it like we might lose other things. So God promises, in our case, to supply gifts through us and they won't run out. God promises to multiply our giving, and actually this blesses us. In the meantime, we're not just giving something away, and then we dry up. We're giving something away, and we are fulfilled again and again. His righteousness in us endures forever. And then lastly, there's a third point. You should give, Paul says, because 
he is given more praise through your gifts. Look at verse 12. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission. That comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Here Paul is saying that God is given more praise. More praise. Like count, if I represent one praise, God's given multiple praises if I give away. We see this in, in missions. It's really easy to calculate. So Henderson has, for the last 20 years, been going to Nicaragua all the time. We've, we've helped plant several churches there. We've started a seminary there. It's just the Lord blessing just a lot of faithful people. Um, currently, we probably have over 200 people go on just short-term mission trips every year. Right now, I think we have seven people there permanently. Uh, you know, a doctor or pastors there, people, or just people supporting those pastors, working in a coffee shop so that those people aren't lonely because they speak another language in Nicaragua. So we have people who go, and what we've seen there is God has just increased through monetary value churches all around Nicaragua that we've been a part of. There's other churches outside of us. We're not the only kingdom makers there. I was down there last November teaching at um, the seminary that we started, and we had there 40 pastors from all around the region. It was just amazing how bit by bit over the years, the gospel went to these people from people I've never met or heard about. And in some ways, the gospel is going out all over that country because we built a radio tower. And all they do is just preach sermons over this radio tower. But I think one of the coolest parts about our investment in Nicaragua or our giving to things in Nicaragua is actually Nicaraguans who are not well off and are not well-educated, and the world is actually going against them in a lot of ways. There are several of them now who are, as missionaries, going to North Africa. The gift of us is multiplying. It didn't make us richer, but now it's going from Nicaragua just through our channel all the way to North Africa, where Christians aren't allowed in. And you're not going to get an American to get in there. Because America, in a lot of different political ways, like, no, you can't. Are you kidding me? Hello? You watch CNN? But in Nicaragua, it's like, oh, yeah, a bunch of poor people from, you know, South Central America. Like, sure, they're coming here to work. No, they're coming in here to fight against what Satan's doing. And through gifts of people, the Lord is multiplying that effect. And person after person after person is bringing praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. It's amazing if you were ever on the receiving side, which I would imagine many of you have been, ever been on the receiving side of a benevolence, or someone just said, you look like you need a thousand dollars, or a hundred bucks, or can I babysit for you, or something. What is your natural reaction? Thankfulness. When you're able to give, what is your natural reaction? Thankfulness. You're giving something away that God gave you. It's easy to compare of like, I mean, he gives him a lot and her a ton and me, you know, babysitting. But in reality, in light of what Christ has given us, our response is just seeing this and bestowing thankfulness to the Lord. So you see places and multitudes of people giving thankfulness to God. Remember here, the main character, especially in our passage, is not you, the giver, but God giving through people, building up those people. 
and those people collectively giving him praise. And doesn't he deserve to receive that praise, thinking about all the things that he has done for you and me? I remember when I was also young, and I told my parents, uh, just kind of on a whim, it's like, I don't think $100 is that much. It's like seven. Of course I don't. I've never seen it, you know. I don't think $100 is that much. Well, to someone now who has a wife and like hobbies, yeah, 100 bucks is a lot. Like the, that's two months of Wi-Fi, you know. So then over time, I become wanting to hold on to things that I have. I read a study a long time ago that said the more economics classes someone takes in college, the, the more greedy they become, which is the opposite of what Christianity is. The more we see the power of money reaching the ends of the earth, the more we want to do that. Now, there are a lot of ways for us to be stingy uh, in churches. You vote with two things. You vote with your money, and you vote with your feet. Oftentimes, people vote with their money, and they still hang around. And so, you know, if you're in a place now, and specifically this church, and I'm leaving in 20 minutes or whatever, if you're in a place now where you can't be a cheerful giver, there are two things happening. One, you may need to talk to your elders because you may be seeing something that the elders can help build up with in this church. You know, it may be hard for you to give to this church because this church is not sacrificial or this church is all about itself or this church doesn't help anyone or doesn't try to seek the poor. Or the problem may actually be you are misunderstanding the gospel in your own life. You bought it as fire insurance, but you didn't cling on to it, expecting it to change you completely. So, so if you are stingy, know that you're stiffing the Lord. And he never once does it to his kids. So here, Paul is writing to people, and he's saying, give. But don't, don't just give under coercion. Don't just give so that you can be cool or you can sponsor a pew. Thank goodness there aren't pews here. That analogy would have been, oh. Don't give so that you can have a hallway built off of you or it can be the Asher Griffin Mission Fund. Give because the Lord gave you everything and people need to know that same Lord. And he has supplied you in just one arena where you can build up his kingdom. Praise God that one of the things that the Protestant Revolution happened is that we actually don't have all the gold in the world. One of my Catholic friends told me really proudly that the Catholic Church has two-thirds of the world's gold. One, that's a lot. Two, how shameful. Who cares? No one likes to sit on gold. It's not comfortable. The mission of Christians is always to receive the grace of Christ, but it doesn't become a consumption. Now it becomes like a mirror where we are showing and displaying the goodness of God to everyone around us. And Paul is saying, part of that is done with money. And it's the easiest investment you can do. Um, I got a uh, last thing. I know I keep rambling. This is where I get really comfortable. Um, I got a financial advisor last year, which who cares because I don't have any money. But uh, he was like, yeah, you know, if you save this much every month and you get like 7% return on it and like 450 years, you'll be able to retire. And it's like, that's really awesome, but who in the world is going to say there's going to be 7% return? <laughs> Last year it was 4, so here we are. Um, but here we see a promise where there is a guaranteed return on investment, and it's people praising the Lord. 
And that would make any of us a cheerful giver. I want to be a part of that mission. And, and Paul is telling us, and I'm telling you, and you all should be telling each other, this is a good thing. So Paul tells us that we should give. And he supplies, God supplies this gift through us, and he multiplies this gift. And all of this gift brings praise and glory. All the praises that we just sang about, it, it keeps on rolling, and in part through some of the ways that we do in giving. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning just in gladness as we think about everything you've done, not just in this church over the last year, like they said, not just in some of our friend groups, but God, just in what you've done in us, your people, by giving your son as a sacrifice. And God, we pray that we will not be stingy with everything you've given us. We pray that you will keep us from hoarding or keep us from evaluating ourselves based on other people. God, we pray that we will evaluate ourselves based on you and you see us as your children. We bring praise and glory and honor to your name and we do this through the name of Jesus. Amen.